following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. Panic, ladies and gentlemen. The casuals are here, and we are seizing control of the airwaves. This is Casually Hardcore Live on AlphaGeekRadio.com. Yes, we return to the era of actual intros and background music. Technology is a wonderful <laughs> thing when it works, don't you think, Grail? We've made it back to like what 2008. <laughs> shut your mouth, okay? Just <laughs> shut it. Stop speaking entirely. For Thursday, the 8th of October 2015, this is Casually Hardcore, and I am Gnome Wise. And I am Grail. And this is Casually Hardcore because this is all you're getting. That's right. The dudes be in charge. Sup, dude? Yo. Yo. What does my tattoo say? Sweet. What does my tattoo say? Dude. <laughs> don't. Don't. <laughs> just don't. Don't die. Uh, so, yeah. Those of you who tuned in last week and noticed the, the truncated nature of the show. Um, and, and tangent. Shout out to Glitch who noticed a <laughs> glitch with the RSS feed. Um, so, most of you got, like, the last three episodes all at once in the last week or so, and I apologize for that because I didn't know that the, the feed was broken, and Glitch let me know, and I, and I done addressed it, and the feed should be behaving normally going forward. So shout out to Glitch for his troubleshooting abilities, and yeah, I'm still recovering from the crud that was just setting in last week, and has proved to have remarkable staying power. It's, it's, now <laughs> it's got mature. legs. Oh, it's got legs. Holy crap. It's now settled into the, at least it's a productive cough, which means I'm hocking up loogies regularly. Um, yeah, the, the, the sinus bit has retreated and settled deeply into my lungs, and I'm just coughing like a madman. So I apologize. I will be lunging for the cough switch many times during this show. And I assume I will not make it many times, so just don't put your earbuds in because I'm going to blow your head off. That's, that's, that's the moral of the story. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Ah, so anyway, what has been going on in the world of geek and nerd? Well, fall television has commenced. Yeah. But we are well within the two-week Gilligan period, so we can't actually speak about it in any detail right now. Other than to say it has begun. Yeah. So Arrow and Flash have returned. Um, and I would be remiss in not reporting for Dax's sake, Supernatural also returned. So season 11? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. That can't be good. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that there are good shows on CW and that I'll be watching them in the year 2023. <laughs> Arrow's going to be, you know, 
running around with the electric wheelchair. <sighs> One-armed, you know. Yeah. Like, Arrow, you can kind of keep going, especially because, like, you know, Stephen Amell is in phenomenal shape. And, you know, you can use some some trickery there. But, like, you know, I don't know if Flash can't, like, stand <laughs> so much. I don't know how much he can run. Uh, I mean, it, it can be done. Yeah. Stargate SG-1 is proof that Life Beyond Season 7 can exist. Oh, sure. That one sucked me in against my will. When they introduced <laughs> the entire, here's the new big bad, the Ori from another galaxy, and we've got just enough hooks into our existing mythos about ascending and ascended beings to hook you in and come along for this ride. And part of me wanted it to suck. Yeah. And it, it really didn't. It was entertaining and good and ended well. And so even though generally it does not happen, there is proof rather that genre shows can endure past that mythical season seven limit. Oh, sure. And I mean, Supernatural does... Like they they stay true to themselves and their formula. They and it apparently works enough that they're able to get legions of ravenous fans. And legions so, for we and are from, many. From my perspective, you know, when I catch an episode here or there, I am guaranteed I will probably laugh during the episode because the writing's fun and they don't take themselves seriously. And there's sometimes some really interesting stories on there. It's just you have to be willing to put up with they're the two brothers, I guarantee by the third episode, one of them will have a secret yes. that they will not tell the other brother about yes. because they're going to try to protect the other brother by not telling them the secret. See, and then eventually the secret will come out and they will have the whole, like, why won't you tell me I'm your brother? And at which point the other brother will have a secret. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's the thing that, that SG-1 did not do yeah. was rehash old plots. Right. They introduced new antagonists, and the protagonists actually used things they had learned over the course of the previous seasons to make them more effective against the new bad guys. Yeah. They made the new bad guys you know, a notch higher on the badass scale so things didn't necessarily work perfectly right out of the gate but I loved the fact that the characters had grown and learned and were facing new challenges instead of the same old challenges again which is what Supernatural seems well, to be I mean, trapped Supernat with. They, they give them a new big bad pretty much every season. But, the, and the, it's, but it, they it, fall into the same tropes, and that's what's annoying me. Eh, somewhat. I mean, I think they they mixed... They, uh, like, and I'm by no means an expert. I, don't, I haven't watched that many episodes. But, you know, I, I from what I've seen in the early days when they were very heavily Christian-influenced yes. to you know, last season, Season where they basically were run play between him and Michael, or not Michael, uh, what, whatever Misha Collins' character's name is Castiel. Castiel, and then your wife's and, boyfriend. And, 
and the mark of Cain and something to do with death. And so, I mean, it's like, okay, I mean, that's cool. You're, you're, you're still managing to come up with a reason that something really big and bad is out there after you've already put the devil in a box. Yes. You've, I mean, you've done, you've, you've wiped out th- three of the four horsemen. The fourth one got killed this last season. So, yeah. I mean, they've kind of taken off some pretty big things and yet they've still managed to come up with a compelling reason why these two jackaloops are running around uh, middle America and they're always 50 miles from wherever an incident happens. <laughs> it's not so much that I, I don't, mind the writing for the the overarching story it's just that the brothers themselves do they haven't really grown that's more my issue with, right with really getting invested in the show but other people you know i think that's that is the draw it, it's a comfort kind of it's kind of like eating you know a nice bowl of mac and cheese it's yeah. comfort food and, and i guess in that way i am not the typical target demographic because yeah. what turns me on and what gets me interested in a show is character growth. And I've come to learn over the years that I guess I'm in the minority. Yeah, so, so. yeah. I mean, and I, I, I definitely think character growth is a big piece. For me, it's always, can a show do something that I'm not expecting? And that was definitely the main draw for Arrow for me was the the ending of the first season I didn't see coming. Like, that was pretty impressive. And so if you do that, you've then hooked me for quite a while. Yeah, and, I mean, without going into great detail, both really, both Arrow and Flash were about getting the band back together. Yeah. And were clearly designed to be easy ingress for people who didn't see previous seasons. So I understand the studio's motivation of, okay, we've had a summer of people telling their friends, no, you really need to see this show. It's so cool. And they want to serve up an episode one of light Easily digestible fare and lots of background story. So that people who have not bothered to watch the show up to this point can hit the ground running. Yeah. It's, I, it's I just, think, it just yeah. makes it for a kind of a dissatisfying meal for the faithful. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch Flash yet, so I can't comment as heavily on that. But with Arrow, it, it was that kind of like, let's reset. But at the same time, in, in terms of character growth, and, and they left the ending of last season, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything with this, but between the Arrow and Diggle, they had a lot of friction at the end of last season. And they and that, totally seize upon yeah. that trope and milk it. Yeah, and it's good, but I mean that's that's where their characters have gotten to. So I'm okay with it. It's it's where they're they're supposed to be. Now, again, the question will be how long is that gonna get dragged out or are they gonna go silly with it? I uh, hope they resolve it soon. I, I think they are. I think they're pushing towards it. I mean, but we'll see. So but I mean that's definitely on display here just as it was at the end of, of the previous season. They they laid uh, the groundwork with, with Dickel's wife already right. having accepted the no, he did what he needed to do and yeah. you need to get over yourself. Yeah. Um we'll see. But yeah, and other than that, like uh 
Oliver Queen had the busiest five years ever, apparently, (laughs) judging from his flashbacks. Like, he's did more in five years than most people do in 50. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm getting kind of Amanda Waller fatigue. Yeah, I really hope we don't see her again. Well, she's a major player in Arrow. Well, I mean, I guess not see her again in his backstory this season. Yeah, but I'm also, I've been, I've, I consume the DC Universe animated features wherever and whenever I can. Mm-hmm. And they use her lavishly and the different interpretations of her. So there, there's the aging, overweight Amanda Waller. Right. I've seen that version in some of the anime and the, and then the younger, you know, svelter version, like we get in arrow and some of the animated features she's when, when you're not waving Lex Luthor around, she's the next tier big bad you go for. Right. Apparently. And I'm getting a little overloaded on her being the great mover and shaker of the dark matters behind the scenes. Um, so I was a little, I, I reacted strongly to her in the premiere just because I've OD'd on her in their right. animated offerings. Yes, we get it. She's, she's the smoking man combined with every, you know, you know, evil behind the scenes, NSA, FBI, CIA, RSVP, COD character ever. And yeah, a bit much. Um, so I may have been, you know, for my, my viewing habits between seasons, I may have been set up to, to overreact to her presence and her presence was tiny, but pivotal in the flashback scenes. Um, we'll see, we'll, 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 we'll talk again in more detail next week when the Gilligan period has expired on these first episodes. Right, right. We'll, we'll we'll get into it, I think, next week and start really breaking down the ex, uh, episodes. Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're two weeks in on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but only just. Oh, uh, see, I didn't even know that was back on. <laughs> it may be worth a look. Okay. On your part. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't mind. Again, I thought last season ended much stronger than it began, just like the previous season. And they, they seem to have continued that momentum. Okay. So I can give, I can, I can actually give an unqualified recommendation to give it a shot. Okay. Um, you may enjoy what you see. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it's Marvel. Like I, when I was at target the other day buying, uh, the new Avengers or the, the most recent Avengers age of Ultron movie, the guy's like, Oh, you're picking that up. I'm like, yeah, I got to pay my Marvel tax. There you go. You're basically obligated now to buy these things. I, Believe in voting with my wallet, yeah. And I will. I buy the Blu-rays, and I and I buy the iTunes editions, and basically say yes, please, more like this. Yeah. Um, and it was good. I mean, it was funny. I was having a conversation at work today. Like, it's not my favorite Marvel movie, but it was a good Marvel movie. So, looking at the deleted scenes, yeah, that fills in a lot. I haven't watched the deleted scenes yet, so take I'll some check time. It out. Yep, they explain the whole Thor Vision Quest thing. I heard that was extended, so that's good. Not not merely extended, 
Uh-huh. Completely different. Really? Yes. All right. So compare what's in the movie edit versus what's in the originally shot, and they yeah. are very different creatures. Okay. And I, I get why they cut it, because it was an interruption to the pacing of the film, and the version they, they, they shoehorned into the theatrical version was utilitarian. It cut to the chase of, okay, here's some background on the Infinity Stones, and here's a reveal for Thor that only he will understand that there is a larger agent at, you know, at action behind the scenes. But the version in the extended cut was more in keeping with his mythos mm. and definitely watch the gag reel. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Stellan Starsgard, the guy who plays... Right. Um, the scientist helper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Some hilarious outtakes. Oh, that's good. Um, so the gag reel and the extended scenes in Age of Ultron are all really good. Um, the extended scenes also inform the story of Natasha and Banner to a much greater extent. Mm. Um, they did okay in the theatrical cut of implying, hey, they, they have developed a relationship. They really fleshed it out in the longer scenes um, and added a lot more weight to Banner's decision to go AWOL at the end ah. of at Age of Ultron. Um, so I know where you know, Joss was going with all this stuff. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm at of two minds. Yes, it improved the pacing of the film to cut this stuff. But the part of me that loves the super stupidly long Peter Jackson cuts of Lord of the Rings just ate this stuff up. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. I mean, it, it's all there. It felt my analogy for it was always uh, the fourth Harry Potter movie, Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Where you read the book and then you watch the movie, and I've always said they they had they storyboarded that movie and said, "What is our critical path yep. to get from beginning to dead uh, Cedric Diggory?" <laughs> it was Pretty basically much. it. No, that, that that sums it up beautifully. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's just the the necessity of making a broadly appealing film. Yeah. versus serving the fan base. And right, right. I really can't fault Marvel with their uh, their ability to walk that line of fan service versus box office. Well, and, uh, but I think the and the big difference also was the first Avengers movie was them was Marvel basically saying, "Okay, we've set the stage for you." put them together and let's do something really fun and unique with Avengers age of Ultron. It felt more like they said, you now need to set off the plot lines for our next phase. And these are all the things you need to make sure you have in there because this is going to feed a bunch of our different movies. And that that's the, the, the piece of it that I feel kind of weighs on the the film a little bit in that they had to cram so much stuff in to get ready for Black Panther, for Civil War, yep. for you know even the the eventual Infinity War. Uh, it just 
made the the pace a little bit of like breakneck and uh, you know forced them to del- cut down scenes that may have uh, uh, assisted more. Yeah, but I like that they have primed the national and international audience for the concept of the Avengers is a group, and that group is mercurial and ever-changing. Right. Because at the end of the film, you had, here's the new Avengers. Right, right. And kind of setting the stage for, hey, you know we're going to freaking kill... Rogers in Civil War, right? Yeah. And there will be a new Captain America at the end of that film, right? And they're, they're, they're laying the groundwork for the ever-changing nature of these team-ups. And to a lesser extent, the, the we're going to replace these actors, guys, and the, and the characters will endure. Oh, yeah. We, we've done it with Hulk, but nobody really cared about Hulk, so we, we did that with no penalty being paid. We're eventually going to do this with, you know, there's going to be a new Tony Stark. Because yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is getting old and expensive. Yeah, and uh, I mean, funny enough, the one that had been most vocal previous to this was Chris Evans, who now right. has kind of changed his tune. Money, money, and, money, 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 yes. Well, or yeah, most likely money, but still has come back with the, you know, no, no, I love, I would love to play Captain America yeah, yeah, more. Dude, you're <laughs> totally being drilled through the skull before the end of Civil War. Just own it, okay? Um, eh, we'll you, see. We'll, we'll you didn't see. die in the comics, so who knows? Okay. Temporal rifts, yeah, <laughs> maybe a bit much for the movie going audience to understand. Yeah, um, on, but on the surface, the original presentation was, "Hey, Steve Rogers is dead. All hail the new Black Captain America." No, sure, actually, did Bucky take the place? It's Bucky of first, I okay, think, Bucky's and then uh, and then Falcon. Falcon took later. Yeah, because um, Bucky got murdered by fear itself. Of course, of course. Well, the the event fear itself. Because Marvel Universe. Um, That all being said, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. Because really, never before in my life have I seen a studio attempt what they're attempting. We've had movie franchises. So we've had Indiana Jones. So adventure, 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 nuke the fridge, shitty (laughs) adventure. Yeah. And we've had... You know the the comparison that is often made is James Bond, sure. Where from on Her Majesty's Secret Service forward, an ever changing roster of actors portraying the pivotal role, and the role actually maturing because I mean, the current iteration of James Bond, set more or less in modern times, has adapted to fit the geopolitical situation of today. Right, and they continue to to tell really engaging, fun spy dramas in whatever today presents as a possible backdrop. So that's a character that we've all come to love, placed into varying situations. That's not the same as here is a complete and evolving in more or less real-time universe. So you look at Iron Man, the original Iron Man. You have basically reality as it existed at that time. 
There were no superheroes. There were no no weird anything. Right. And they threw Tony Stark and his armor into the mix. And he ends the movie with, oh, what the hell? I am Iron Man. And it's game on at that point. Fast forward to today, years later, where we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is now existing in a world where superheroes are a known quantity, Inhumans are emerging left, right, top, bottom, and center, and the rules of that universe have adjusted appropriately based on all of those revelations that we've seen in television and movies up until this point. So you have a new world where the rules are vastly different from our world, but we've all been along for the ride, so we understand this rule set. I'm curious to see how far can they take this? Because they certainly seem to have grand plans for phase three in television, Netflix, and movies. Sure. Well, I think it really depends also if they're going to hit a point where are they going to just keep riding with the current cast or are they going to try to introduce one of these character actor changes within the current scope of their universe or are they going to do what comics tend to do and get to a cataclysmic event right. that rewrites reality and then that allows them to bring in kind of a wholesale new crew of people right. or or make more adjustments than they normally would uh, probably be willing to do if they were just saying, okay, new Captain America movie and this is the new Captain America or, or more so Iron Man. I think Iron Man is probably going to be their toughest one because because A, he's such a love character. B, I don't know, other than uh, Cody taking over for him, but he's already established as uh, you know War Machine, I don't know bringing in a new Tony... You'd basically still have to bring in a new Tony Stark. Right. And that's, that's the tricky part. And, and I'm curious to see where they go with that, because I see in the television realm, in Flash... DC struggling with the fact that, okay, crap, we lost the actor who plays the young part of Firestorm. So they put big plot elements into episode one of Flash to make sure, yeah, we wrote him out. And that yeah, was- but that's funny because I think they, I don't know, they, they, I thought that was the studio themselves that decided not to bring him back. Well, the, it's it's unclear. There are varying yeah. stories to be found on the internet. Interesting. And it depends on how well, who you believe on the interwebs of why the young actor is not there and the older actor is. Because in all the previews for Legends of Tomorrow, we see just the professor, and we see very short scenes with Robbie yeah. in episode one of Flash, and they go to great pains of saying, "Oh yeah." We, spoiler alert, for the first one quarter of Flash uh, mm-hmm. episode one, yeah, we saved the professor and Robbie is presumed dead, probably uh. probably sucked into Jay Garrick's uh, earth. But anyway. Yeah. So they've gone down the road of, okay, the actor has left, so we'll write the character out. And 
Marvel on, on many occasions has stated very clearly, at least press conference-wise, to say the characters are the characters and we will swap in new actors as you know requirements demand. They just haven't actually tried to do that on a large scale yet. Um, I hope they're successful because I would like to see the, these big story arcs continue. Yeah. Um, a la James Bond. Um, we'll see how well it goes over when the time comes. Yeah. We'll have to have to see how they pull it off. So far, everybody is on board for the cash train that is Marvel Cinematic Universe. And no, nobody has, has opted to step off other than Edward Norton, who stepped out of the Bruce Banner role before uh, current actor whose name is escaping me. Oh, uh, it's Mark Ruffalo. Ruffalo stepped in and made the role awesome. Right. Um, and I, I, yeah. I'm kind of, you look at the plans for phase three and, and you don't see a lot of Hulk in there, which makes me sad because I really, in the two Avengers movies, have really loved Mark Ruffalo. He has really nailed the character, both as the eccentric super scientist and as the mocap source for the Hulk. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why I am so drawn to that character, but he has been a feature of both of the Avengers movies for him. I really, I look forward to his scenes, and I couldn't really tell you why. <laughs> Which I guess is, is a testament to his ability as an actor, um, because he is wonderfully conflicted and divided in every scene he is clearly led astray by Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark in Age of Ultron who sure. just tempts him dude no come cool super science over here dude should we really be no it's, it's okay okay we'll do it then and I don't know it, it, it just I love it I eat it up, and I, I can't tell you why, and I want more. I want more Bruce Banner in my movie-going future, and so I hope that there's Planet Hulk or something World War Hulk in our future. Yeah, we'll I mean, I think he's uh, he's well-liked enough that, that they have to bring him back, but I also applaud Marvel because the Hulk is, is their closest thing to Superman. Yes, to where he basically has no real weakness. He, as long as he's pissed off, he just keeps getting tougher and stronger, yep. and there really is no end in sight. So you have to be delicate when you use that powerful of a tool within your, your stories. And I think so far they have. Mm -hmm. They've done a good job of making him show that he has some flaws, but more so that he can be effective in a fight but doesn't overtake it to the point where you go, why is anybody else there? <laughs> well, the Hulk has no flaws. Bruce Banner has a plethora of doubts and flaws. So once he hulks up, he is in completely. And the problem is... Yeah. 
Well, somewhat. Ban- Banner, but he's Banner's still... not in control. The, 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 the big issue in Age of Ultron is Scarlet Witch gets in his head and unleashes the Hulk with no banner right. at the reins. And Bruce is, when he comes down from that, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, right. um, says, great, that was my worst nightmare. Completely realized in full 3D and Technicolor. So Scarlet Witch achieved her goal completely, and Bruce is now convinced that he can never be in control because someone sure. actively took control away from him. So he is, spoiler alert, off for the horizon. Yeah. Um, and I get it. And, and that, that was a, a well-told story. Um, but you're right. When, you know, in Hulk mode, they have thrown nothing at him that he could not overcome. Right. And I mean, that, and that's true to the comics. I mean, there has been situations where, you know, caught off guard, hit strong enough, quick enough, you can knock him out. Right. But if you're in a prolonged fight, you basically have no chance unless you somehow get him to not be mad. He will ever rise to your yeah. occasion. There's, there's no stopping him, really, at that point. So it's, it's a tough thing to, to use, and I think, uh, I think so far they've done a good job with it. So I'm willing to, if they're not showing him, if they're kind of giving him a cooler that's okay because I, I don't want to get to a point where you start looking and you go, you know, Captain America and Iron Man, like they should just be chilling in Stark Tower and just say, Banner, Off go you take go. care of it because really what's the point of the rest of us? Right. <laughs> well, I'm curious to see if he will be a surprise turn up in the Defenders because he, yeah. you know, classically he is a member yeah. of that team. Yeah. Um, and I would love if Marvel were to ambush us with an appearance of Ruffalo and the right. Hulk in the made-for-Netflix movie yeah. of The Defender. Yeah, the yeah, that'd be fantastic. I mean, I think, uh, I would but I mean, it. funny enough, so is Doctor Strange. Yeah, I, w- I would love it if they could manage to keep it secret. Right. Which is so hard. So hard. <laughs> in this day and age <laughs> yeah. of... You know, people snooping on casting calls and paparazzi camping out, you know, studios. Right. But studios, they camp out towns. That's how they found uh, Kit Harrington running around, you know, the town where they're filming uh, the Game of Thrones the next yeah, season. Yeah, but did you really think Jon Snow was? Oh, of course it? not. But still, they, they definitely were. For, I didn't think so because I've read the books and yes. I kind of, and you can sort of look at the portents of the uh, TV show and see that yes, they've set up many ways to basically bring him back, but for those that aren't as initiated in it, that's a pretty major spoiler, spoiler. right? Spoiler! Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But yes, Marvel, if you're listening, and I know you are, please have Hulk be a surprise guest star on the new Defenders when you yeah. get to that movie. Uh, I mean, I would like, you know, some Hulk Daredevil scenes would just be mm. un- unbelievable. I mean, I, we I have a lot, we have a lot of territory to cover between now and then. I mean, Jessica Jones is coming this year. Oh, yeah. And the two teaser trailers they've, they've put out so far, the first one is pretty meh. 
The second one was like, okay, this is a little more of you know, what the character is about. For the Jessica Jones? Yeah. With the alarm clock? Yes. Yeah, that was awesome. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, but, I mean, even the concept of Jessica Jones, of the retired superhero. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see where they take it. And then... And, they, I mean, they're, you're giddy with Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, which I love Luke Cage, so I'm, I'm really big. I'm more interested right now in you his character. You mean Power Man. Yeah, Power Man. And, I mean, if they put together some heroes for higher action out of this, yeah. uh, I mean, and that's, most, that's the third movie is basically Power Man and Iron Fist, right? Iron or is Man, it just Power, Power Man? Power Man and Iron Fist each get their own miniseries. Oh, okay, so cool. It's, it's four miniseries leading up to the... Movie, right? Um, which uh, uh, saying movie is not quite because I believe it's a four-hour, you know, two-episode epic spectacle. Yeah. Yes. Um. So it's just <laughs> they've done so well mm-hmm. adapting, you know, Daredevil and getting me interested in Jessica Jones, of whom I knew Jack Diddley Squat. Yeah. yeah. But Power Man, OMG black exploitation, terribleness, and Iron Fist, OMG gold slipper wearing, you know, chi wielding, yeah, Taoist, yes, yeah, super Taoist, you know, you know, martial arts dude. Um, they need to borrow. Very lightly from the comics because the comics are over the top. Yeah. Um, and I love the comics for what they were. I mean, Power Man and Iron Fist being a product of their late 80s age were great for, you know, teenage and early 20s me. Um, yeah. Mid 40s me, less interested in a lot of that crap. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not expecting. I'm not sure what to expect, but I still think. I think if done right, it can have a certain fun and flair to it. No, they they, they knocked me over with Daredevil. Sure, my, ex- but I, my this expectations is different. were Power Man's totally different. Yes, <laughs> but but even even Daredevil. I mean, because we had the you know enduring taste in our mouth of the Affleck Daredevil. Sure, movie. sure. And the following <coughs> Garner Electra movie, yeah, of, of which we will not speak. Um, so we they they had a lot of lost ground to make up. Sure. And two episodes in, they had erased all of that from my memory. Yeah. yeah. No, they 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 proven they could do it there, but I'm just saying this is a little bit different beast. Yeah. So I'm curious to see. And they've already kind of shown even Jessica Jones is a different beast. I mean, her teal did a trailer of her crushing her alarm clock while passed out in bed with a bottle of liquor rolling around the floor. I mean, it's like, and there's your hero. But she <laughs> she was a blank slate for me because I, right. I had really never followed the exploits of that right. character before. So they can fill in the blanks with whatever they want. And they've done a very good job of saying, of, of presenting me with things that make me say, oh, I, yeah. I will be watching this. I have preconceived notions about Sure. Black exploitation, Power Man, and super martial arts 
chi dude iron fist that they will need to overcome which which yeah i'm a minority in the audience so they may not spend a whole lot of time making me feel better um but i'm in this weird place of marvel disney really consistently serving me up the buffet of awesome that i desire and part of me with with each dose of awesome so you know most recent dose ant-man which could have been horrible and instead was a cavalcade of fun yeah it was a fun movie it was totally fun i mean the giant ant as sure. the as the family pet at the end yeah it was totally dumb yeah and i loved it yeah and i ate that up and just with with every victory they score part of my brain the cynical part of my brain says and the fall will be that much harder when they fail. And I want to crush that part of my psyche because yeah. I'm enjoying so much of what they've served up to me so far that just you know, shut up other shoe waiting to drop part of me. Right. Just accept the great fun storytelling they're giving me. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you just got to, you just keep going and, you know, I'm sure eventually just the law of averages, they're going to make a movie that's at, you know, not good at some point. Let's, let's be objective here. Ant-Man was weak as far as. In the grand scheme of thing? Sure. Compared to, you know, Iron Man 1 or the first Avengers film, it does not stack up to those. No, of course not. And yet, it was better than 90% of the other movies I saw that year. Yeah, yeah. It it was exactly what it was supposed to be, which was a fun way to kind of close Phase 2 out and yeah. say, here's a character, we just want to get him out there because we think it's cool. It also introduces Hank Pym, who yep. is a real big part of this, and we really needed his technology and him introduced. And having Scott running around in the suit was, you know, more to just give it that kind of fun Flair, a la Guardians of the Galaxy. But they, but they had the wonderful cameo by Falcon. Sure. You know, this old storage facility happens to be the new Avengers the headquarters, guys. Yeah. Um, so there was nice continuity there. You know, a good throw-in of, of the Falcon character. But also, this week we got the announcement that the sequel to Ant-Man will be Ant-Man and the Wasp. Right. The first ever... Marvel title featuring a heroine in the title. Because interestingly, despite presenting us with Agent Carter and Natasha Romanoff and... Sky? I was going to say Daisy, but that's that's how they're referring to her now by her given name. Oh, okay. Um... Marvel has come under interesting fire as being anti-woman. And I don't get that because here are some of the most wonderfully realized and fleshed out powerful female characters that I've seen in genre films and television for a long, long time. Um, so it's it's... Another feather in their cap to say, yes, and we're going to headline a movie with this. Oh, by the way, shortly after that, we will have 
Captain Marvel. Yeah. A woman. Yeah. Whole movie. Really looking forward to for a female character. But understand Marvel also, they're they're dealing with their history, which hasn't been as strong. Not only has it not been as strong, but some of their most strong women Disney Marvel doesn't have rights to. Yeah, sadly. (laughs) Which is a real big thing. I mean, some of the best women are in the X-Men, unfortunately. And then your other real strong woman is Sue Richards. Yeah. So, and only later in her existence, because early in her existence, yeah, she was, she was complete throwaway, complete fluff. wallflower. But the invisible right woman, now, for God's sake! Yeah, they're really strong in the comic book world. Is Spider Gwen? Yes, late lately, yes. Yeah, which is a huge one. Which I know, especially with the deal now they've worked out with Sony, I could see Marvel making a push to, if not give her her own movie, at least include her as a character in some fashion because she is she is so hot right now. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, the, the whole the, the whole bits I've read of it, are, she's fun. No, the, the, it's great. It's just how do you fold that into? I have no idea. Because they had a hard enough road to hoe of just bringing all these characters together, now yeah. folding Peter Parker into the family in Civil War, kind of retroactively, because hey, we already shot some of this film before we realized, <laughs> okay, Black Panther, not necessarily going to be the central figure because we now have Peter Parker, Spider-Man right. to roll into things here. Rewrite, reshoot. Um, yeah. Um, and without even tapping into multiverse ideas. Oh, sure, yeah. And I, I don't think we're no we're there God, yet as God, a no. consumer group. <laughs> no. And 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 that's the interesting disconnect of the comic book universe has all these decades of awesome and profoundly shitty storytelling sure. to, to draw upon. And it's weird to see how Fox has routinely drawn upon the really shitty stuff and Marvel has drawn upon the really high-quality stuff. Well, I would, I mean, I'd somewhat disagree with that. I think Fox in the Fantastic Four universe, and even then, they did try to draw on the Silver Surfer, which is a good story for the Fantastic Four. They just executed it really poorly. Well, yeah, I mean, they targeted... What should have been a fan favorite, yeah, Galactus and the Surfer, the Silver Surfer as his herald, and you're right, the execution was they, they see, but I think they they just chose poorly at the outset. They yeah. chose comic book fan favorites that did not translate easily right. to a mass audience. Right now, on the X Men side. Yes, Last Stand was horrible, but I don't know that there was a even a comic book analogy for that storyline. No, there absolutely was. There. I mean, the, the the death of Green of Jean Grey was in there. They just, but it was a, it wasn't. I mean, I guess you could make an argument that that was supposed to be Dark Phoenix, but it really wasn't. Um, at least in terms of the comic book stories, it was. So. I mean, I mean, the comic, I mean, the problem with Dark Phoenix is they have riffed on that idea over and changed oh, and over course. and changed and over because they refuse to let Jean Grey die. Yeah, and yeah. 
They never will. But it, it, it seems they were so microscopically close on so many levels. But they went what they thought was the... You know, they thought they were being Joss Whedon. So we're going to kill Cyclops. And we're going to kill Professor X. Spoiler alert. And just to prove just how badass this phoenix psyche within gene that you know the professor has apparently always known about and suppressed and with a few tweaks that could have been an okay rewrite of the cosmic phoenix force i'm okay with them rewriting the cosmic phoenix force as a latent personality within this fantastically powerful telepath who is Jean Grey. I'm okay with him saying it's not a universal force affecting her. It's just who she is. Great. I'm okay with that rewrite. Nuking Professor X? No. Yeah. That's over the line. Again, it was a poor execution of a good story. And and really, for the X-Men... Outside of that and Wolverine Origins has done, they've done other stories. Really, like the first X Men is just a classic X Men get together and yep. fight Magneto, and it worked well. Yep. The second one is much more around the Weapon X program, but it still had it was a very large ensemble cast, and it worked well. Hell, it had the, new, it had the freaking New Mutants in it. Okay, they 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 pulled all that off beautifully. Yeah, and then you you go into First Class, which was. Uneven, I'll give it an uneven, but overall did some interesting things with a lot of the characters. I call First Class, if I were not a comic book fan, it's a complete success. I think for me, the uneven part is they really destroyed Emma Frost, who was one of my favorite characters. That, I I really, the rewrite of Sebastian Shaw, I was okay. I didn't mind. I didn't mind. Especially when you, not only that, but to have Kevin Bacon pull it off was also like, oh my God, he he plays a really scary Sebastian Shaw. The actor, he really, and, and the the slight modifications they made to his power set. Yeah. I loved all of that. Yeah. And, but the total, I mean, just, just evisceration yeah. of... Emma Frost, where number one, they totally contradicted when they showed us to her, showed her to us in Origins. Right. Okay. Who was that then? Totally rewrote her as a much older woman in first class and gave her her secondary mutation right out of the gates. Yeah. As a comic book fan, that was that was a bridge too far. And she it just wasn't the personality that you were used to from the comic book. And and the challenge there was she has been so well written. Yeah. Over the years, I loved the Emma Frost character in Astonishing X Men as written by Joss Whedon. Oh yeah. Where it was is the period of time where she was in a relationship with Scott, and was railing against the fact that. Everyone's memories of Jean Grey eclipsed her still living here in the fu- in the present, and you know the, the, the whole commentary section of years of tr- of of training in you know of secondary of finishing school and 
plastic surgery and working out, and I still come in second to a dead woman. Yeah. Just sums up that character so beautifully. Oh, yeah. Well, just that then she was such a good, she was the, I'm going to be a good guy, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to be this good guy, in quotes. No. And that, that style of character was fun to read. And I loved a, a bit of interplay between her and Scott where... You know, Kitty Pride has basically accused her in front of everyone of telepathically manipulating Scott, and then storms off, and it's just and it's just Scott and Emma. It's like, yeah, Kitty thinks you're you're manipulating me telepathically, and they have a, a, just you know a, a, a pain of, of of a beat of them saying nothing, and him looking at her and saying, "You're not, are you?" And her response, her immediate response was, "You will never see me naked again." <laughs> Awesome! I yep. love that character. Yeah. So I mean, so back to the movies. That's that was I think the, my detriment part yeah. to that was that uh, was really class. the low the low point for for first class. Sure. Now, now Days then, of Future Past. Well, even between there though, they had the best Wolverine movie that yes. was in the Wolverine. I mean, that was the classic Silver Samurai story. Yep. A little bit of modifications here and there, well, but I, that was a damn fine movie. I have a hard time. Finding, I mean, giving Yukio your precog powers was a little annoying. Yeah, a little but bit. But that was really I mean, the only yeah. change to canon that they made. And you know, it they, was their way to build that, like, oh my God, Wolverine may actually die. Yeah, yeah. Along with the story of him having the thing on his heart that was also preventing, you know, his regeneration powers. So, and, but it made it, it was a fun story because I it loved gave, I, I loved it. I ate it yeah. up. Yeah. So, I mean, that was really well done. And it draws from very classic storylines yep. in the comic books. Yeah, Wolverine get, in Japan, uh, yeah. you, you sign me up. Right, right. So, and then you get to Days of Futures Past, which is the, it's probably the most well-regarded story of the X-Men. Because it was Singer returning yeah. and saying, okay, let me unscrew all of the things that have been done to right. my franchise that I built so carefully, and then you guys pissed all. Well, over. that was that was Singer Singer returning to the movie franchise, but I mean, in terms of comic books, Days of Future Past is is on a pedestal above yes. most other stories, not just within X Men, but within yeah. comics. It was a, a very much a gold standard of yeah. you know late eighties, early nineties. Storytelling of because it drew on so many threads. Right, we had a little Phoenix in there. We had a little. You know, we had the, the groundwork that would become Cable in there. Mm -hmm. um, the Sentinels and all their threatening glory. Yeah, it threw it on its head too. Right, making clever use of time travel to show. Oh wow, the future really gets crappy because a lot of people are dead, uh, and it. It it was uh, you know a groundbreaking story, and in the movie form, they did a good job of it. Definitely, yeah. you know, it's it's the Wolverine show, so Wolverine yeah. had to be the one to go back. But it was but, also Fassbender and um, young Xavier McAvoy. McAvoy, yeah, James um, McAvoy. Them securing their legacy as the here right. are the people we, we will be focusing on in the X Men franchise going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and along with a, a strong, uh, God, Jessica or Mystique. Um, oh, um, uh, drawing a blank. I'm old and tired. 
Katniss. That's all yes, I want to yes, call Katniss her. Katniss Everdeen as <laughs> Mystique. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was very much a Jennifer showcase. Lawrence. Jennifer oh Lawrence. Oh, my God. Yeah, a, a showcase for her as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she did a, a fine job in that role of being kind of caught in the middle. Uh, great. The Young Beast is a very well-played character as well as our, you know, much different looking than his days on Fury Road. <laughs> a little <laughs> so, bit, you think? Just a smidge. So yeah, I mean, witness me. It, yeah, witness me. It's a strong. It was a strong cast, strong movie. Obviously, there's uh, a bit of uh, heartburn over what we've seen so far from Age of Apocalypse, but we'll give it. You know, we. It's a little early to make a judgment on. Yeah, it. I mean, I mean, set photos are not moving pictures. So yeah, so I mean, I would say in Fox's defense, in X Men realm, they've done pretty good uh, overall. I think most movies have been good. Fantastic Four, they can't figure out to save their lives. No, and God. on Sony's end, they basically—I mean—they gave up. <laughs> That's how bad it got. I think with Sony's area. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the—I mean—as a spectator, you know. And, and someone who, who does not create these things and who does not understand the challenges of creating these things. It's very easy to pass judgment. Mm-hmm. But I look at you know, the reboot of Spider-Man with Garfield and their attempt to instill a multi-movie story arc with the mysterious background of what were his parents doing for Oscorp? And was he perhaps genetically engineered and predisposed to be bitten by the spider? Which just brings back horrible memories of the Ang Lee Hulk movie. Right. And I see what they were going for. You know, we want a bigger story to tell over several movies. Hey, that's what Marvel's been doing very successfully. And you know, we want there to be a greater mystery that we that will unfold over two, three, or four movies. And I never even saw Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, neither did I. Because I had zero interest in it. That was the sec the sequel, right? Right. Yeah. But were they apparently, from everything I've read, in a very heavy-handed fashion? We're laying the groundwork for the Sinister Six. Right. And it's this rush to, hey, franchise and spinoff movie. And I'm mystified. And obviously the creators of these things are also mystified as to what is the magic formula for making these things work. Because on one hand, you have the very meh, reaction to Amazing Spider-Man where, hey, they showed us, here's Rhino, and here, hey, look, in the background, here's the Vulture's suit, and Electro is here, and hey, all these villains you love are, are, are coming to, well, you know, Sinister Six, guys, and as a nation, we rose up and said, yeah, no, thank you. Right. And on the other hand, we have... Oh, let's see. I mean, we were talking about Fox mm-hmm. and them laying the groundwork for Apocalypse. Right. 
And at the end, you know, before seeing any of the, the pre preview shots of X Men Apocalypse, when they had their little teaser at the end of Age of, of Days of Future Past, I was very much nerd squee. You know, I'm I'm so ready for you guys to plunge into Age of Apocalypse. Right. And so, what is different about Fox, who has repeatedly burned me in, <laughs> in, in, on so many different media and so many different levels, and yet you get someone like Brian Singer into the mix. What does he do differently that makes me go, hmm, I, 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 will, be, I will be tuning in. You're telling me there's a chance. Uh, right. Versus, yeah. you know, they couldn't even get me to show up for the next Spider-Man film because I'm like, yeah, meh, whatever. They're not, yeah. if you look at the lists on paper, all the bullet points are there. Well, I think the, the biggest issue, number one, would be realistically, for most moviegoers, how interested are you in seeing the vulture? <laughs> but, but really, what does the average moviegoer know about Apocalypse. Not as much, but but figure that also the other thing Fox has going for them at that point is they have quite a few X-Men movies already out. So if yes. people have been sticking with it, the chances are they may have looked into a few things by now or are at least willing at the end of the movie to go, well, who was that dude? I got to find out. Let me right. go to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. It's Apocalypse. This is cool. This guy's a pretty big, big time villain. Whereas Spider-Man only had the first movie and now the second one. And I think the biggest mistake they've made with Spider-Man. Oh, and they, they could have gone two ways with this. They decided to go more of the Batman Begins route to bring in a lesser-known villain to fight against Spider-Man and uh, attempt to cause some conflict. Because the first movie, the villain was the Lizard, right? Which arguably is a classic. It's a very classic film, but one, but it's much is like Scarecrow. What is threatening about him exactly? Yeah, but it's it's Scarecrow. It's a it's a tear down villain, right. and I think for the second movie, a la Batman, they went for the juggler. They went for the Joker and brought him in and said, "We're going to put Batman's biggest rival on screen now, and then we'll go from there." What Sony needed to do was bring in Venom. Yeah, and they skipped and they said, hey, Electro, Jamie Foxx, yay. Yeah, it, it was the wrong call to bring in, again, B-tier villains to yeah. fight him again. It's And anybody that knows anything about Spider-Man, even and most of this would be more recent, the number one villain to the for most folks would be Venom. Yeah. As his challenge, as his, his kind of... But you they, can make they, an argument for Green Goblin, but they already had done that in the Tony right. Maguire they, series. They, they'd burned both Venom. They, they burned a lot of the good ones. Doc Ock, sure. Venom, and... Um, but I think Venom was done so poorly oh in the God. third Spider-Man film that they could what have redone it and made it a fantastic yeah. uh, villain and counterpart to him uh, to go forward. So... And then, yeah, I would have loved to have seen a retelling of Doc Ock because yeah, he's also I, a fantastic oh villain. I loved Benicio Del Toro's Doc Ock. That wasn't Benicio Del Toro. Sure. That was, was Albert uh, no, you're right. Modena. Albert Modena. So sorry. Yep. Um, 
I loved that rendition. He made the character so relatable. Yeah, I loved him until the end of the movie. I really didn't like the way he kind of flipped and went like, oh, I'm a good guy now. Like, that just didn't fit. Because I'm used to the character from the comic book who's a total sociopath. Yeah, see, and then and, and the, the problem with making him more relatable is you take away the, the psychopath. Right, right. Where he was basically, he was being run by the machine, yeah. and he finally exerted his will over the machine. Right. And, so within the confines of the movie, it made total yes. sense. It made sense. It made sense. You so, just yeah. you just couldn't let go of. No, I no. want the psychopath. Doctor. No, because I mean he was the, he was the psychopath up until that point because so. the machine was running. Because the him. machine was running him. Right. Yeah, I get it. I get why they did it. It just that was the deviation for me. I was like, oh, it's it's kind of it's my same feeling with uh, Ultron, where it's like. This is Ultron. He's badass, and now I got Joketron three thousand. <laughs> like, yeah. where did this come from? But in the confines of Avengers: Age of Ultron, the fact he got his personality from Tony Stark, right. it makes sense why he is Joketron, you know, three thousand in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I get it. I get that's why the they curse did it. of knowing the source material right. intimately. Right. Right. Um, at the, you know, all at once, you have the conflict of. I know more than you do, but I understand that the the average audience member yeah. couldn't give two shits about this stuff. Right, and and it's it's more just like it's like reading you know a book before you go see the movie yes. adaptation. The book was much better than the, the book movie. was much better. The book did it differently, but you have to then look at the movie and go, well, how did they do it in the movie, and does it make sense? If it makes sense, I'm willing to say, okay, I, I I'll roll with it, even though I might have had a different expectation coming in yeah and i really i blame <laughs> peter jackson <laughs> yeah i really do for training me to know the difference between the movie adaptation and the source material because expectations could not have been higher going into the lord of the rings and you know that was that was a beloved Series of novels, but you know, if, if Professor Tolkien had his way, single novel of enormous scope. Sure. That I was intimately familiar with. And because of the quality of the movie, I was encouraged to and was able to put aside that deep, obsessive knowledge of the source material and enjoy the movie because they obviously went to great pains to honor the source material. Oh, yeah. Without being slavish to it. Right, yeah. I, I had no problem putting aside Tom Bombadil. Right. I put him aside in a heartbeat <laughs> because he was a terrible Because Because part of me was wondering what the hell he was doing there in the first place. Right. Why do we he, need to go to the Barrow Downs? Oh, that's right. We don't. It didn't right. advance the story at all. But... And it was interesting to see how they managed to lose their way yeah. between Return of the King and The Hobbit Part 1. Right, right. Because I really didn't like The Hobbit. The the first, the, the Hobbit, the first movie there, was it The Longest Journey or There and Back? Unexpected, what was the, the Unexpected the, Journey. Unexpected Journey, yeah, I knew it had a subtitle to it. That one, yeah, it, and again, it was, it was just an uneven film. There was, and it, it it needed to be two films. 
Yeah, it didn't need. They didn't need to expand the thing, the book out uh. to three films. But the the problem they ran into there was also, like I said, to me, you had like goofy, fat Goblin King and yeah. scene of them, and just the silliness. And then suddenly you're thrown into this super intense scene with the Riddle Game with Gollum, yeah. where you're like, oh my god, this movie is incredible. And then you go out of it and you're like, okay, now it's getting silly again. And then it ended with a pretty cool fight uh with the uh white yeah. yeah and all that so that was cool and the second movie uh, you know again it like you said it just it extended out too it long i mean filler, the dragon filler, was filler, great filler 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 yeah just too much filler to it so yeah he, he definitely lost his way into that book but i mean I, I would also say that one of the the best jobs of taking a source material into that that you know, comic books can can learn from would be the Harry Potter series. Yeah, that really that pretty routinely. I, mean, I can't single out any one of them. My only my my and I mentioned earlier the only one I didn't enjoy as much was Goblet of Fire because there was so much that happened yeah. in the book that got left out. That was a dense. Tone. And it was it was the most ma- uh, maybe book five was even bigger, but it was massive. And but book five they handled it was around the same size, and they handled that one very deftly yeah. with the movie. And I thought it felt more relaxed in what it was doing compared to Goblet of Fire. But that was it. I mean, otherwise every other movie in there is solid to fantastic. Yeah. So I've always been impressed. There's a lot of stuff that's in the books that enhances the story, but I don't think there was anything missing from the movies that you needed from the books. No, I mean, I mean, the stuff that was jettisoned was was superfluous to the storyline. It fleshed out the world, yeah. wonderfully, yeah. but it didn't advance the story, main storyline. And the thing that that strikes me over again over and over again about the Harry Potter series is how the story matures with its audience. Yeah. So if you start reading this with your 11-year-old child and read one book a year going forward, you will keep pace with their development. Development <laughs> beautifully until you get to the end and you're telling a very adult story, yeah, with massive consequences and clear good, evil, death, life. You know all. It, it, you know you compare Deathly Hallows to Philosopher's Stone. Oh yeah, these are not the same storytelling at all. Right, right. Um, and I love that. Yeah, it, it means you can't binge read them with your 11 year old but if you you know space them out as your child matures it's a wonderful tome to take them through those developmental years um and that's just perhaps the problem with the movies is they're all there and you yeah. could binge them with your 12 with your 12 year old right. you know son right. or daughter and they would be damaged by the end of it yeah so I mean, and I think looking, you know, looking for that magic formula. I think that's that movie, Lord of the Rings. The, in any movie that's taken something that was written before, and not only written before but beloved, yeah, and then done a successful job of translating it, 
that's what Marvel and DC needs to needs to do and and going yeah, forward. And that, that is no, I, I I do not envy them that challenge, yeah. and I'm I'm I find myself weirdly optimistic about DC's chances with Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice and Suicide Squad being the most you know stuff that's on the horizon. Right. And I think they have Marvel to thank for it. Yeah, no doubt. Because they've primed the pump where we may be more forgiving as audience members for some of the shortcuts they're going to be taking. Yeah. To get us to the, the beloved storylines that we so want them to tell. Right. Um, you know, earlier on, you just, just go back to previous episodes of this very show to understand my misgivings and my thinking that DC is rushing to their team-up movie and, you know, two team-up movies, basically. Dawn of Justice is clearly and transparently the Justice League formation movie. And Suicide Squad is an unabashed bad guy team-up movie. But I look at that and I see Will Smith and Jared Leto and... They have my attention and my interest, despite, you know, this is me against my own will being drawn to, but I want to see this movie. And I shouldn't, but I do. What's wrong with me? Right. So I hope they're complete and utter runaway successes. Yep. Because that means we'll get more of the stories that we already love told in new and interesting formats. Indeed. Wow. It's 1020. I know. I think that's... Holy crap. That's a wrap. <laughs> uh, well, we have an email we can use to flesh okay. out this last 10 minutes. Um, so much for the spreadsheet. Um, so from True... Um, I beg your pardon. No, this one's from Glitch. Ah. Um, I have one from True. <laughs> your stream has issues. <laughs> your RSS feed no, no, has issues. That via Twitter, and I thank him for that. because He helped right. me fix it. Um... So, oh, excuse me, True and Glitch are one and the same. So, so True is his IRC identity and Glitch is his Twitter identity. So, all the same dude. Um, hey, Casualties, your new time no longer lets me be there live, but now that Gnome fixed the feed, thank you, thank you for letting me know, Glitch, uh-huh. I'm able to play with the missing shows. Uh, Grail mentioned he likes Sword Art Online. You should also check out Log Horizon and Acel World. Log hmm. is a similar stuck in MMO show, but more mature and less teenagey. Yeah, Acel was written by that. the same writer as Sword Art, Sword Art Online and in the same world decades later. Oh, okay. Uh, as far as the King Killer stuff, remember not all writers are book machines like Jim Butcher or Brandon Sanderson's. Yes, but I want Patrick to be a book machine. It's all about me. <sighs> One wonders. I don't, I don't need him to be a book machine, but, but I mean, at some point, I would like him to be—I don't know—a book. Uh, what's what's the lesser version of machine? Like I, uh, uh, I have no idea. Steam-powered machine. <laughs> I'd like him to just write a book, <laughs> like slow sometime. and steady. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. And I guess my other issue, and I know sometimes, you know, with a writer, you have 
whatever's you know gnawing on your brain, you got to get out. So the fact he did produce the slow regard to silent things uh, last year, which was the Ori story, right? Uh, which is good. I mean, it's great. It's in the world, but you know, it's like okay, you're able to write that. Right. Let's crank out book three here, Mister. <laughs> so, it's, it's, I mean, from what I've, I mean, in the internet age where we exist now, where bonus materials and podcasts and behind the scenes material are more and more plentiful, um, I've come to understand that the process of creation, the process of writing, is not as linear as we would like it to be. Sure. So, Rothfuss maybe needed to chase down the rabbit hole of the story of Ari just to get it out of his head. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I clear understand. it out so I can move forward with quote. Yeah. yeah, and I get it. I, I understand it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, True goes on to say, one wonders if he may be overwhelmed by what he needs to cover in one. And obviously, book. I'd prefer him to do. Yeah, in the what. In, in, in a single book, much right. like Jordan said he was going to do you know, before he you know, died. And sure. Sanderson ended up t- taking three books to clean it all up in, in what Jordan thought he was going to try and do in one. Right. No, I think he's, uh, you know, it, it's all fun ribbing, really. I'd rather him write a good book than a fast book. No, I, it's the same thing with The Great Bearded Glacier. Uh, just yeah. you know, can you can you feed us the end of this story? And I'm really looking forward to binging the entire Song of Ice and Fire from beginning to end once it's actually done. Oh, you haven't read any of it? I stopped at um, what was Dance. before what was before Dance of Dragons? Oh, Clash of Kings. I, Clash of Kings is where I stopped. Gotcha. When the news came out that it was being developed into a TV series and it was clear that the gaps between books... Because I've been burned before. I'm looking at you, Roger Zelazny, across the gulf of undeath, <laughs> of having authors die on me. And, you know, George R. R. Martin, he's not a young man. He's not particularly fit when you... No. Look at him objectively. <laughs> Basically, yeah. the man could drop dead at any moment. And I could be left with a very incomplete story. So it's hard for me to invest. So I, I made a conscious decision to stop reading, basically forget the finer points of the story, wait for him to finish, and then binge it, probably via Audible, yeah. once it's done. So start over from the beginning and just go all the way through to the end and, and consume it in all of its glory. And I wish you health and long life, George R. R. Martin, so that you may finish your TV series and yeah. finish your book series. Yeah, we wish wish all these authors we like to read uh, long life. But I mean, in the meantime, you know, the book machine that is Jim Butcher did produce book one of the Cinder Spires. Yes. Is available now. So, and you know, that's one I'm going to, just start reading because he's also shown an ability to take a series and finish it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and to juggle because he had his cash yes. cow, which was Dresden, Dresden Files, and successfully juggled it with Alaria. Yes. And told the story that he most wanted to tell 
while still servicing his fans with the story he needed to tell to pay the bills. I don't know if that it's he needed to tell. He had the outline as I mean he pitched it as a twenty book series. So right, but but I mean you read the prologues to yes. the Illyria series, and he says very clearly, you know, this is the story I have always wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Turns out my other character was the popular one, so thanks to him, I can tell you this other story. Yeah. And he, but he successfully served both of those masters, right? To which I give him enormous props because that yeah. can't cannot have been easy to basically push out two major novels per year for right. five years. Was five it? years, yeah, because it was a five book series. Um, and have the quality of both be top notch, right? Because I I can't really point to anything in Dresden Files that suffered, and. Illyria, yeah. for all the similarity between the story arcs in each of the books, yeah. um, it was basically the same story told over and over again at slightly, slightly different ages until the last book. Um, you know, with a small break, it still captivated me through to the end. Sure. I mean, I think he... Uh, yeah. But at least the character was... He was always in a fish out of water situation. Yes. But he at least was more competent as he got through the books at handling the fish out of water situation. Yes, but but he was provided with a suitably you know upgraded antagonist each time sure, to, to, sure. to to beat him senseless. Well that's I mean, if you're reading a Jim Butcher book, I'm sure whoever the main character of the uh Cinder Spires, the Aeronauts Windless, is getting the shit kicked out of them by the midpoint of the book. Yeah, but what, <laughs> what I've enjoyed in the last two Dresden novels has been he is more he, he has learned and grown and has powers to de- I mean it took something freaking biblical to put him down in the most recent novel I mean the, the the scale of powers that 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 Harry is dealing with now are you know of massive scale sure and I'm really enjoying okay to basically seeing the story of how did Merlin become Merlin right is basically the story we're watching yeah of how did ordinary dude, what has some talent, become universe-moving, magic-wielding, reality-bending force? And we're about two-thirds along the way of that story, and I cannot wait to hear the next chapter. Sure. It just, but it, you, you're never, and maybe he will throw this in as a, as a fun piece in a future book, but you kind of want at some point for the Dresden at his current level to like, oh, there's some wizard in Chicago that's making people's hearts explode, and him being like, oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> like, I... You know, and basically run through one of the early store flickeries, except now at his current power level, and be like, "Oh no, <laughs> you guys are done." And, and I love you know that's like that's like you know in WoW going back and running you know a right. level sixty instance as a level hundred character. Yeah, like, yeah, smite. Oh, I, re- I remember when this was challenging. Chuckle, chuckle, guffaw, wheeze. Right, right, right. Um, and I've seen that done badly. Um, 
Laurel K. Hamilton really lost me as she amped up the character, the character's power level to ridiculous levels. And her books became, what's the shortest route to graphic sex that I can chart here? Because the books became more about sexuality and, you know, beefcake than they did about the characters. And like, no, this is not interesting. And you were so good, so good in your, you know, your first four books Mm. where, you know, it was about the character and how she dealt with these changes and how she dealt with her increasing power level and these things that were being thrust upon her. And now we're just, oh, hey, look, we're we're, we're (laughs) thrusting and... And there are descriptions of shafts and and nice. yeah and K. I don't care anymore mm-hmm. because it's not yeah. about her anymore. It's about what she's doing, right? And uh, it, it could have been so much more. Oh, well, and and we're again we're spoiled by the the good storytellers in our midst ruin. <laughs> the huge number of crappy storytellers in our midst because we know what we're missing. When we're, re- when we're reading a bad story, we remember, yeah, but over there is, you know, there's Jim Butcher and all the, all the good, fun, and interesting stuff. And you're just talking about boobies and dicks. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> but anyway, that, uh, let's, let's end this story. Let's, let's, let's end this episode on boobies and dicks, shall we? There you go. Because why the heck not? Uh, you have been listening to Casually Hardcore live on alphageekradio.com. You can find us like a rash all over the internet uh, on the social media. So, Bookface, we are in there as Casually Hardcore for the show, Alpha Geek Radio as the network. You can find us on the Twitter. I am on there as GnomeWise. Grail is on there as Grail, C-H, G-R-A-I-L-C-H. Excuse me. (coughs) There's that cough I was telling you about. Uh, You can also find the show as Hardcore Casuals and the network as Alpha Geek Radio and Alpha Geek Video. Send us your emails to the show at alphageekradio.com. That is the show at alphageekradio.com. If you wish to support us, go to patreon.com slash alphageek. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash alphageek. Pledge 50 cents a month, a buck a month, whatever you think. If you get good value from the shows on the network and you want to give a little value back, that is how you do it. Become our patron. Yes, we have 21st century crowdsourced patronage. It is a wonderful time to be alive and to be a nerd. Patreon.com slash AlphaGeek. In the meantime, I have been Gnomewise. And I've been Grail. And we are, once again, out of here. <laughs> <laughs>